This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Marketing Geeks, the friendly neighborhood marketing show where Justin Womack and Andro Sturgeon talk all about other things than marketing. Starring Justin Womack as himself. And Andro Sturgeon as the wacky, crazy, neighbory guy that he is. It's okay. Hey, everybody. Marketing Geeks is filmed in front of a live studio audience. I've always wanted to say that. Hey, everybody. It's Marketing Geeks. It is that time again. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And uh, boy, we got a lot to cover uh, today. Uh, our good friend um, uh, uh, Jenna was supposed to be here. She wasn't able to make it. And uh, Gwendolyn is off walking the earth like Kane from Kung Fu. That's right. Yeah, we lost, uh, we lost Gwendolyn. I mean, she's on her super secret pilgrimage right now to, uh, to walk the you earth like uh, you lost her. Kane from Kung Fu. You lost her in the food court of the, of the mall. <laughs> So for now, you'll have to settle with us two marketing brilliant people that we are. But that's okay. We're we because we've got some brilliance uh, that is. In fact, we've got some marketing advice. We've got some uh, news to share, and we've got uh, we've got the sex robot report, which we're going that's to right. your your weekly <laughs> sex robot report. We'll get to that though. So why don't we kick it off, Andres? Let's let's kick it off with some current events. Yeah, and, uh, you know what I could really go for some current event sounds. Some current event sounds. Here they come. <laughs> That's all I got, man. Sorry. <laughs> they don't. They don't. You know, we've we've got seven listeners, and uh, they they don't send us money, so we can't afford better okay. sounds. Okay, well, play it one more. Play it one more time. All right, here here we go. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. Apple has become the first $1 trillion company in America after a new report was released showing that their market valuation has passed $1 trillion. That's crazy. Andros. Yes. 
I, I can't believe nobody got to a trillion before and not even Amazon. Uh, although I think they're very close behind. It's, 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 I mean, I mean, that's a lot of money. I mean, a trillion dollars is, isn't that like, um, more than a billion? It is. It's, uh, mathematically it's 1000 billion dollars. I mean, that, that co- so that's a lot of money. It's, it's, it's greater than the GDP of most countries in the world. So, uh, which is which is fascinating. But I, you know, the the, the question I have is, of course, uh, what is the cost of being a trillion dollar company uh, when you know your products are made by your slave labor and uh, the elements that are used for your products are also used by uh, mined by people who don't have safe working conditions. You know what I'm saying? I don't mean to bring everyone down. Well, you're, I mean, you're a corporation in America, so you're um, you are directed to work for the profits of your shareholders, regardless of anything else going on. So it's a, I mean, it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, that's why you you've seen like the the B cores uh, or the benefit corporations being introduced as ways of not being in you know direct response to your shareholders in that way. So, uh, but I mean, Apple has done a a better job than a lot of companies, I think. Although, I mean, I, I don't know all the details and I know that you, they do manufacturing in China and I I can't speak for sure of what goes on in those plants. And so it's it's, it's tough to say, but hats off to uh, Tim Cook and Apple. And speaking of uh, speaking of Apple, I think you had another story that related um, to uh, to Apple to share here. Yeah. Now, now, first of all, I just want to deconstruct the the like the why. Like, how did how did a company that was started in a garage, which is kind of a myth, uh, it kind of wasn't, but it kind of was, uh, end up being one of the most valuable companies in the world? And it, a lot of it has to do with the marketing of of how they marketed that product because the thing about Apple computer, their whole entire methodology of advertising is about thinking different, right? Going back to the first major commercial, the 1984 commercial, if you haven't seen it, go on uh, YouTube, Google Apple 1984 commercial. And you could see like this was, this was at the time, this was a really innovative commercial that was designed to bring people into the Apple fold. Uh, it was the first time that there was you know a, who, uh... Do you know who directed that commercial, by the way? I do not. Tell me. Ridley Scott. Oh, I think I knew that, but uh, thanks for reminding me. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting interesting point. Um, yeah, Steve Jobs was a brilliant marketer that was ahead of his time in a lot of ways, and he understood customers better than anyone else in the computer industry. I mean, if you go back to the first, because Apple's had kind of like two runs, right? They had the, mm-hmm. the first run in the, in the 80s, and then they had their comeback in the uh, late nineties, early two thousands. But in their first run, I mean, the big, the big thing happening was Apple. Um, and thanks to Steve jobs was the first company to make computable computers accessible to the general public. That's right. So they took something that was like way too complex for people and that nobody wanted to touch because only engineers and uh, programmers wanted to touch computers and they turned it into a household item that anybody could use. And that and, that's largely Steve Jobs behind that whole idea. And and uh, I believe I fully believe uh, that he was inspired by Philips, which is a Dutch company here. And Philips, of course, they were a light bulb company, but they were one of the first companies to really integrate design with functionality. So you could have a toaster that looked like something from, you know, a rocket ship or 
you know, everything was about function, but also it looked cool. And so well, I've, I read, think, I've read his book too, but Steve Jobs was an artist, man. He was a total yeah. artist. I mean, he went to, he went to Reed college, uh, which is kind of an RT liberal school. He, uh, in his Stanford commencement speech, he tells a story about how, you know, he, he never graduated from Reed. Um, pretty certain of that, but he, he dropped in on, he would audit a lot of classes. So he didn't even always uh, register and attend, or he didn't even pay to attend Reed college all the time, but he would audit classes, drop in. And one of the classes that he audited was a calligraphy class. And he tells the story in his Stanford commencement speech about how, had he not dropped into that one calligraphy class, which ended up inspiring him to create the first fonts on computers that uh, we probably would never have seen fonts developed on computers, at least until much later on. It wouldn't have happened nearly as fast. And, and then he's like, and since uh, Windows just copied the Mac, then you know that never would have happened anyway. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it, the innovation is really, it's about the artistry, ease of use, and uh, you know the the how how they were able to position themselves against the competitors. And he was again, also, about... uh, but he was also like the interior of the computer mattered to Steve Jobs. So even though nobody could see it, like in the first model, I think it was the Apple II, he took a lot of care in designing the interior to make it as beautiful as possible, and nobody could even see it because it was a closed source computer. We had to use special tools to even open it. But even the original developers of the Apple II. Um, their initials, I believe it's the Apple II. I'm, I'm not 100% sure on which model it was, but their initials or, or their names or signatures are carved on the inside of that model um, because Steve Jobs was kind of an artist and he added that element uh, inside. So even though if you've read more about Steve Jobs, you probably realize that he's kind of a dick and he was a uh, he was an aggressive leader. He had a very direct management style. It was effective, but it, uh, it definitely injured a lot of relationships in the process. Uh, but he was also an artist and uh, he cared about even things people didn't see mattered to him. So uh, like that's that's a very excessive level of care to care about something that nobody's ever going to see unless they get the special tools to take apart yeah. an Apple computer to see that inside. So I, I just think that's interesting. I read his whole uh, biography. So that's uh, those are points made. And, you know, it, it was really about about his – it was not only was he concerned about his uh, – like the look and feel of the things that he put out there, but he also of his own personal legacy, which is interesting because his daughter Lisa, who he uh, disavowed for many, many years, has just announced she's coming out with a tell-all book, and there's been small excerpts from that. Uh, and there's some heartbreaking stories in there like how – she never was really included, and he actually named one of his computers Lisa, like a model, and he asked if that was for her, and he said, no, absolutely not. Uh, and then finally, when she was a lot older, he started inviting her to uh, events, and uh, and at one point, he they went to like Bono's house or something, and uh, when, when Bono asked about the Lisa computer, asked Steve Jobs, did you name it after her? He said, oh, yes, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, it was just he wasn't he wasn't a great father, but apparently neither was Gandhi. Uh, I, 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 I believe I'm a great father, so I'll probably uh, never be rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they, uh, have but you, you seen either of like any of the Steve Jobs movies? The three of them that are that are pretty decent. The best no, the best one it. of the three is the one that probably nobody's heard of. Uh, the best one came out in the in the nineties, and it was uh, it's called Pirates of Silicon Valley. It's my favorite of the. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I actually did see some of that. Michael uh, Michael Anthony Hall, right? He plays uh, no, he plays Bill Gates, 
And uh, Steve yeah. Jobs is played by Noah Wiley, who uh, I think both yeah. of those guys were on ER for a stint. Um, maybe, or maybe I'm totally wrong there. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't really watch but, it. But, you know, if, if it, it, and it took, a, it took a real talent to like find the right people, but, you know, if they had LinkedIn back then, they probably would have been able to find talent a lot quicker, which is interesting because um, if you have LinkedIn or if you're on LinkedIn, it's very, very easy for you to get a job or find decent employees. But the first thing you have to do is get a master LinkedIn profile. And ironically enough, uh, Justin and I have been teaching many, many companies through the years how to get master LinkedIn com- uh, profiles and uh, individuals. And we are going to be doing our famous LinkedIn master profile class uh, through the LinkedIn mastery course. Take it away, Justin Womack. Tell us all about it. What do we win? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because, uh, yeah, we happen to be running one this coming uh, Tuesday, August the 7th. So this Tuesday, August 7th, we actually happen to be running one of those LinkedIn Mastery Course classes. So if any of our listeners want to attend and learn how to create a master LinkedIn profile to find the, the career or job of their dreams, or if you're a business owner, to use your LinkedIn profile as a marketing tool to attract your ideal target client, target market clients, then I would highly suggest that you attend the, the training because it's absolutely free. Um, you can go to linkedinmasterycourse.com right now. Again, that's linkedinmasterycourse.com. Don't ask Andres to spell it for you because he will misspell it. But it's uh, it's going to be an awesome training. Uh, it'll be myself. Andres will be there. We might have Gwendolyn hop on. I'm not sure if she's going to be able to join us or not. But we'll go through we'll go through the full training on how you can create a master profile, and we'll touch on some of the other areas of LinkedIn. But it's going to be a, a fantastic training. And that takes us right back into Apple. I mean, uh, so that yeah, because uh, training was a just important element. Just a real quick note: Mac computer, <laughs> space, <laughs> space is limited. Uh, so definitely uh, sign up as quickly as possible because uh, we're getting near capacity. So uh, it'll be nice to like talk to people real time. It's going to be a dialogue. You can actually ask us questions, and we'll answer them. Yeah, we'll do we'll fun. do live Q and A at the end. So I think we'll we'll probably teach for um, anywhere from thirty to forty five minutes, and then we'll we'll keep the last section open for uh, full Q and A. So it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. yeah. We'll do, do we'll do like a, a Reddit AMA. Like ask us anything. You can ask us anything. Like what is it like to live? Like, do you want to know how to escape America and live in a foreign country and become an expat? It's easy to do. We'll tell you how to do that. Do you want to know how to take uh, your picture in front of a mansion that you don't own and put it on social media? We'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I did want to just touch on a few other things on this uh, on this Apple story, though, because one of the fascinating points of the whole Apple-Microsoft dynamic is that they, they both were, like, rooted in thievery. They both <laughs> stole, like, all of their ideas, which I think is kind of interesting. Because uh, Apple, Apple basically um, stole, or they, they, I think IBM or it was Xerox. Xerox owned the first kind of graphical operating system, and um, didn't really know what they had on their hands. Kind of thought it was like, whatever, what is this? What's the point of this? Steve Jobs uh, basically came in there and swiped their uh, their operating system for super cheap. And turned it into Apple computers, essentially, with the help of uh, Steve Wozniak uh, doing the rest of the work. But it, it's just kind of fascinating that, like, really most of, like, the Apple, the first Apple model was, like, stolen from Xerox, essentially. I think, and I can't remember the full details, but they, there was a little, it wasn't just them going in and buying it. There was some 
thievery at play. I kind of forget exactly how it went down. Uh, but then uh, Bill Gates got a job at Apple for a very short period of time, or he was either, or he might have been hired as a consultant, and he basically got access to the source code of the of that operating system and then converted that into Windows. So it's just it's just kind of funny, and I think that's where the title "Pirates of Silicon Valley" came from. They both like kind of stole from uh, from other people to get where they are, and they both had very brilliant business minds in some ways, but they weren't necessarily product creators. So I mean, Steve Jobs right. was creative, and he came up with ideas. But he wasn't a guy that could execute these ideas. He needed help. He needed a lot of help. So, and and just finally in closing with with uh, the Apple, this is one interesting note, uh, and uh, this goes into uh, the realm of conspiracy. And now, this is not a conspiracy theory of the week. So, just just for the record, if anybody ever ever uh, talks to you <laughs> about how 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 rich people are uh you know holding all the all the, the the technology for themselves so we could get sick and they they have all the cures just mention steve jobs because if anyone could have cured cancer or had a cure available it would have been that guy right so Do you know the uh, story though i mean let me let me just tell a little bit of that story because yeah he okay so he actually did try to cure himself um without chemo originally so he was diagnosed with a rare form of pancreatic cancer that uh, was treatable with surgery and so all the doctors you know immediately wanted him to do surgery and they're like congratulations this is this is one of the few forms that we can actually treat uh but steve jobs instead chose to to wait on it and try to cure himself through uh through dieting and his his uh, whoever was coaching him at the time, and I, I, there's some truth. I'm not uh, I'm not anti the idea of um, I'm not I'm not closed off. Put it that way. I don't I don't really know the the science. I'm not closed off to the idea of holistic healing. But he tried to heal pancreatic cancer by going on a carrot fast. And if you know about carrots, that's a lot of sugar, and you're just like loading your body with sugar, and it just seemed like a terrible terrible idea. Like maybe like a kale fast or something. But he, was, he tried it with a carrot fast and he drank only carrot juice for, uh, I want to say like four or five months. And he put off the surgery. So when he finally had the surgery, he had, he had waited and let the cancer develop even more, which, uh, which oh, probably had a, a big role in it coming back later on. Mayor, we don't really know for sure what, you know, if, whether that affected anything or not. Because at one point, I, he did still get surgery. He still was cancer free at one point, but it came back pretty quickly. So it's just interesting that he delayed that that surgery for uh, for months, and that might have been the difference of him living a much longer life. Unless, unless he's not really dead, and he's actually working with Elon Musk to get us all onto Mars, and and he's actually helping the Mueller investigation with Trump to round up pedophiles and uh, and Pizzagate. really drain the swamp and Pizzagate, and that is my conspiracy theory of the week. What a fantastic conspiracy theory it was. <laughs> you like it? I loved it. I it made it up myself. It was fantastic. <laughs> and now, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the next thing that I am most interested about, which is our sex robot report. Are we ready for our sex robot report? I'm ready. Let us bring on the sex robot report. <laughs> Coming straight from the news source in Japan. What was the what was the story? Why don't you why don't you share it? 
according to some experts, there's a sex robot uh, time bomb in the Japanese culture, and the Japanese will go extinct by the year 3546 as dolls beat out living competition. 35, so that, that's 1,600 years from now. Does that mean that I have to wait 1,600 years before I get my sex robot? That's too long, <laughs> man. <laughs> I, I kind of want you to play the conspiracy music again because I have, a, I have an important point to make here because you know what I actually think is that the reason so this is Justin Womack's conspiracy theory on sex robots. So what I what I believe is that um, the reason they're talking about extinction here is because you know in the, in just the next couple of years AI is going to come to fruition and these when these robots become self aware and you know and they realize what they've been used for I mean these are going to be some pissed off robots so we're talking we're not talking about a robot uprising here we're talking about a sex robot uprising and they're going to be pissed unless they're into about it. extinction that's if, where extinction comes from but if if what if they like like there, there's like a weird part of the program where they actually it's their kink they like they like to have sex with weird like people who live in their mother's basement you know i i, I was gonna say i was gonna say weird japanese people but but i think that that there's weird sex robot people across all cultures <laughs> It's an interesting. It's an interesting point. Yeah, noted. Yeah. So, uh, so, so the, the there was there was basically someone who did a mathematical uh, algorithm, and they figured out that uh, by the year thirty five forty six, there will be uh, that that will be kind of the norm that people will just be having sex with sex robots. Uh, I don't want to wait that long. I'd like. I would. I would totally. I would go for version one. I would just. <laughs> why it's, not it's, uh, it's gonna know? take a little bit of a culture shift for that to, for that to happen but you know over how many years was it a thousand years yeah that could happen over a thousand years i mean i i, I don't know <laughs> who knows whatever <laughs> <laughs> who's the president yeah okay. yeah well you know what i would at this point i would vote for a sex robot over anybody else that's running so you know maybe they'll be it a- was a uh, Getting back on getting back on topic because we've been mostly on topic today. Uh, there was another story that we we had talked about with involved your um, your stepdaughter and she she was telling you about a new social media network and this That's is right. uh, this is a story that I had read this morning as well. But I, uh, um, why don't you tell the story and then I'll I'll tell you what I've kind of read on it as well. So basically, last week we were talking a little bit about millennials and how it's uh, kind of difficult to advertise to them in the old school way. Uh, when I was doing viral marketing back in the early 2006s, which was just, what, 12 years ago? Not that long ago. Um, it, you know, most viral marketing was done through email. So how do you get someone's attention who has no attention whatsoever? Case in point, uh, my stepdaughter is using an app. She was using an app called Musical.ly. And this morning she opens it up and Musical.ly has been purchased by a company called TikTok. And TikTok is a Chinese-owned company that basically uh, took the Vine concept and put it on steroids. So you could do 12-minute loops. And uh, Musical.ly is something where you can make these mini music videos. And they've kind of combined the two apps together and now have this Uber app. And that is the app that everyone is using these days. So the question is, uh, if you have these lightning fast sort of videos that you're sending around and creating, how do you market to somebody who doesn't really have an attention span for 
being advertised to, right? But I found it interesting because, number one, I never heard of TikTok, and apparently it's huge in China. Uh, number two, they now have Musical.ly. Number three, a Chinese government-owned app is now becoming hugely popular on young persons' phones. And, uh, you know, the Chinese government doesn't allow anything to go through their servers unless Is it time they... for conspiracy theory number three? <laughs> no, this is just happening. This is just, yeah, it's just the way true, it is. Yes. So uh, anyway, kind of interesting because it's it's the it's the app du jour. So parents, if you have young people in your house, uh, I would recommend very highly that you check their TikTok account and see what's going on because uh, no matter <laughs> how, kind of how pro- what kind of propaganda they're being fed. <laughs> oh well, it's, they're they're creating their own. They're vicious, man. Like remember Mean Kids in 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 junior high? Remember how mean they were? Yeah. I do. Uh, imagine, oh, imagine yeah. if they could be mean to like thousands of people simultaneously. It's, it's a like bullying wild. dream. It's a bullying dream. It, it is. It is. So, um, anyway, it's uh, it's fascinating times. But uh, yeah, I, don't, but, I don't know that much. I mean, I don't. I actually had heard of TikTok before, but I'd never, you know, been that fascinated to the point of wanting to check it out or anything. Cause it was such a, a small. Um, Seemed like it had a pretty small audience, but it you know it showed up in the top downloaded apps. So I'd see, I'd see, yeah. at least seen it on on Apple phone where uh, where it showed up in the top downloads. So, but Musically has been pretty popular to the point where um, Gary Vaynerchuk, the uh, internet marketing guru that's pretty popular here in the U.S., he uh, he did a whole chapter in his new book about Musically uh, before any of this happened. Uh, because he saw that as an emerging uh, popular brand and as a way that it's going. I mean, you look at marketing to millennials. This is probably a few years off from reaching because we're talking pretty young millennials here um, that are on Musical.ly and probably now on TikTok. But it's it's the next kind of thing. I mean, this was the idea with Snapchat that you you get them when they're young. The uh, the platform eventually should theoretically age up, meaning that uh, these people get older. And if you're out in front and you become an early influencer on a network like this, um, there's a lot of money to be made. If you can somehow either get a stake in the company or uh, or you become an early advertiser, there might be a lot of money to be made. But right now, that the demographic on this network is probably too young. I don't know enough about it, but I'm assuming it's very young. Except that, it, but it's also got uh, the whole China market, and there's uh, a billion plus people there. So more, well, crazy more will be learned because I, I need to. It's do also. More research. You know, and and one of the reasons that we don't know about it is because TikTok as a platform is only a year and a half old. It's about it's going to crack two years here pretty soon, but it's a it's a young platform. Uh, so where how do does, they, how does... where do they get the money to buy Musically? Is a good question. That's something I want to do some research on too. It's like you know what? That's a great question because if you're if you don't really have any kind of advertising model, I mean, it, it, they must be getting some seed money from somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but who knows? I mean, it, you know, maybe the Chinese government themselves are giving them money. I don't, I could be wrong about that. Uh, just now to get we're on back young conspiracies again. Yes. Now I like it. And that concludes my conspiracy theory of the week. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so what else is happening in uh, in big news as far as uh, uh, marketing goes? Uh, the new Steve Jobs, uh, da- his daughter uh, Lisa, is coming out with a book, as mentioned before. Uh, and uh, I'd like to know, you know, one of the, the reasons that Steve Jobs didn't want to uh, acknowledge his daughter is because on some level it put a, a small crimp in his own uh, legacy. 
right? And so the thing the thing that that I find fascinating about that is because uh, if you ever read Robert Greene's Forty Eight Laws of Power, uh, one of the things he he talks about in in the Forty Eight Laws of Power is you know your reputation is the most important thing, so guard it with your life, and. Uh, and and so he felt that it was a nick in his perfect image, and and he didn't he didn't like that too much. So uh, do you think that that uh, and it kind of makes sense because if you have a, a company that has a bad moment or a bad a, sure. a nick in their brand, it could cost you millions or in some cases billions of yeah. dollars. This is a guy with a big ego, obviously. Uh, I think I was reading that when he did the cover for his final book before he passed away, that he had like something like at least hundreds of variations of covers before he settled on the cover for the book. And he had, uh, when they negotiated the contract to write the book when, with Walter Isaacson um, writing the book, he uh, he put in the contract that he had to have creative control over the cover was one of the main stipulations he had. So the guy's got an ego. So yeah, he might be right that he would be that protective of his ego. But on the other hand, he was also a man that was so driven to create a dent in the universe, as, as, uh, as he said, that for him to take time to raise a child would have put a pamper in his plans to put a dent in the universe because basically every waking moment of his life needed to be dedicated to, to this business or, um, or, you know, he might not create a worldwide impact like he wanted to. So I think it's a, it's a combination there. I mean, definitely ego comes into play, but I also do think the guy was so driven to work and a workaholic that he felt like he didn't have time. Like he just, he's like, you know what? I don't, I don't have time for this. I'm just going to deny it and hope it goes away. Um, and he probably believed in the power of uh, positive thinking and, or the power of uh, attracting the power of attracting what you think about. And he, he tried to twist that is kind of what I'm thinking. So by denying her that she would go away somehow, but obviously that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean like, but that, that's the question I, I want to pose it to our listeners. Is that, is that if, if you found out that, uh, uh, you know, Steve Jobs had some sort of nick in his perfect armor. Uh, would that make you think about possibly buying uh, a, an Apple product? I mean, uh, I know that uh, I, I certainly uh, it's put a crimp in in my marathon watching of the Cosby Show. <laughs> you know, yeah, but I think, I think I a lot can't. of uh, a lot of the negative stuff on Steve Jobs is out now after he's died. So, I yeah. mean, in this point, there's movies, um, there's documentaries about kind of his, again, I talked a little bit about his leadership style, but the man was, um, he was aggressive to the point and demeaning. And um, he, he basically looked down on, on people under him in a lot of ways. And he would, you know, he would yell, he would scream, he would demand things. He'd make people deliver uh, on deadlines, you know, normal 30 day deadlines would be cramped down to like three days and people would tell him it's impossible, but he would push them so hard that they would get it done and they would hate him in the process, but they would also get the work done. So it's like, it's just a fascinating story in terms of like, yeah. he burned so many bridges with people that now that hated him because of how hard they worked, how hard he worked them and what he put them through. But they also accomplished things that never would have happened had he not done that style. So it's it's kind of you know a... it it it's funny because you hear about stories about Elon Musk which are similar. Uh, in fact, there's a story I heard about when they were first getting SpaceX off the ground. 
one of the engineers uh, had a wife who was uh, giving birth. And he said, I got to be there. I got to go be there for the birth of my son. And Elon Musk said, uh, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're needed here. We're making history here. You better get your priorities straight. <laughs> I, I shouldn't laugh at that. I shouldn't laugh at that. But that's, that's such mean, a horrible, horrible thing to say. <laughs> uh, I mean, I could never work for anyone like that. But, uh, you know, maybe I could be a boss like that. No, I would never do that. No, I, I've really um, I heard a lot, though, that Elon Musk has a lot of similarities to Steve Jobs and um, and that they both they both have very, very high demands. And it makes I mean. You have to have a certain level of drive and a certain a certain lack of empathy to to reach like those kind of heights. I, mean, I think a lot of people do anyway. There are exceptions where people with exceptional yeah. empathy can rise to those heights, but a, a lot of times. But the question is this: yeah, and but but the 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 thing is with millennials who are you know they don't like feeling uncomfortable on any level uh, for the most part. I mean that's kind of a stereotype. But I, I don't know if that type of management style will work in the 21st century. I think that a, a softer approach is needed. I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, people authoritarianism uh, is certainly on the rise. Well, there's, uh, but, I think there's uh, more protections in place. So I, I don't know that that leadership style will fly. And, and with social media, like it's easier to report on it. So it's easy for, you know, even Elon Musk's employee that leaked, uh, whoever leaked that about him not letting his you know, the employee go visit his child for the birth. I imagine that was leaked, right? That wasn't just like, uh, that was in, uh, uh, Ashley Vance's book on Elon Musk, which is really great if you haven't had a chance to read it. Uh, but you know, again, it's about, it's, it's about your, uh, you know, the Tesla stock took a huge dive recently because when those Thai kids were stuck in a cave, he, uh, what he called one of the, uh, divers a pedophile That's right, he did. and, uh, because, because the diver criticized his idea to create a mini submarine as a publicity stunt, which it probably was. It, and so it probably, uh, probably was, I don't know. And yeah. again, it's something I don't know enough about, but it, I mean, from what I've read, it, I've, I've read that it was pretty impractical of an idea, but still it, it just goes to show you how, how that type of marketing matters. It's reputation management. Uh, you know, but uh, but going back to to how you how you actually advertise to people uh, directly. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, this just came across the wire that uh, Facebook is going to monetize WhatsApp with a business API, and what it's going to do is it's going to create ads that open chats in the messaging app. Now, did you did so you hear you this are... um, that the the founder of WhatsApp was still employed by Facebook after the acquisition? And uh, that founder of WhatsApp recently left the company after hearing about plans to monetize WhatsApp and the uh, and the direction that they were taking it. I don't I don't know if what you're talking about is the, is the same thing of, of the original plan for monetizing it, but they the founder of WhatsApp was still I think on the board of Facebook and still involved with the company and left because of the way that he saw the the treatment of of his creation being handled. I could see that because, you know, it was originally designed to be a end-to-end secure encrypted uh, sort of thing that was free to everybody. Um, and, you know, I mean, this is kind of an interesting thing that they're doing because what they're going to do is they're going to have ads on Facebook that when you click on them, they open up chats so you can immediately chat with someone on the other end. So for some businesses, if you want to connect to a real-time salesperson, via WhatsApp, which will allow you to do a video conference call or a phone call or a chat, uh, any one of those. I think that, I mean, as far as business sense goes, that makes a lot of sense to have some sort of it, it tool like that. It seems pretty practical, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and and you know, charging a company for that privilege, I also don't see as a uh, a huge problem. WhatsApp is very handy for me, especially living here in the Netherlands. I get to talk to everybody for free, and uh, I mean, it's it's really amazing uh, technology. Uh, I can't get my mother to use it, but, but uh, no, it started. But it started uh, much. It was it was much less a U.S. company. It was much more uh, international. Uh, but it's yeah. growing in popularity now in the United States. In fact, I'm uh, I'm I'm using LinkedIn now to troll for clients, and <laughs> uh, one of the clients. things that I'm doing, I'm using it to troll for clients. But uh, as I talk about it, you know, I think that that putting your WhatsApp number on uh, on there is probably not a bad idea if you put it on a resume or whatever. Speaking of which, uh, I have uh, found a neat little hack that I want to share with everybody. And if you're looking for a job on LinkedIn, this hack will actually allow you to put out uh, resumes at quadruple the speed. And um, but, but here's the caveat to that. I don't want to tell anybody now. But because I just found this hack and I want to, I want I have to tell to know. I have to know. You can't just, you can't just leave me hanging like that, man. You can't well, do here's, it. Here's what happened. So, so uh, one of the things that well, we're going to talk pay, about. Can I pay you like, I don't know, $10,000? Can I tell you? Tell me? No, you know what you could do? You can just come, go to the LinkedInMasteryCourse.com and register for the free event that we're doing. And I'll so tell you. you're saying you, it's $10,000 value just to be there. Wow. It, that's wow. right. But you know what? Forget the $10,000. We're doing it for free. That's, That's incredible. Right. That's incredible. incredible. I will be there. Incredible. I just want so, to say that you are such a great speaker and uh, and an inspirational person. So just put me oh, down for a testimonial too. All right, uh, you got it. You got it. Um, but but one, <laughs> but uh, but one of the things that I found because uh, you know LinkedIn is getting tweaked all the time by Microsoft, but they started this new sort of thing that allows you to uh, when you're looking for opportunities to. Uh, connect with uh, employers kind of instantly. And so there's there's ways to do that and, of course, ways uh, not to do that. But one of the things I found, and this is kind of interesting, is that uh, there's a new job title that I discovered that a lot of companies are starting to use, and that is a customer success manager. Yeah, and, uh, no, I'm, I'm familiar with that one. That's a very that's a pretty new one, and it's, uh, it's I can, new. Some of my old but, jobs, I think, fit that description. So I might have to exactly. And that's the point, which is which is because uh, and the same same as mine. Uh, I've got to now go back through my LinkedIn profile and update it again to current positions that fit the current job market. So just a few years ago, a customer success manager never existed. And what a customer success manager is, is that if you have a software as a service that costs like say five or 10,000 or $20,000 a year, you need to have someone who is basically the go-to person that is a personal uh, kind of, because in the sales process, there's usually three points. Uh, I think they were the called sale. account executives. Um, and maybe that sounded too formal or they're bringing them right. down to customer success managers. I mean, wasn't right, that kind right. Of so, so that's the thing that that if you if you were like a customer advocate or and that is basically in the in the in the sales process there's the pre-sale where you get the people excited about it there's the point of sale but a lot of times when you sell something to somebody you've got to resell it if it's a, if it's a high ticket item so there's usually retention man retention right right so so the person that basically guides someone through the sales process and then continues to resell the product to them and upsell 
that is a customer success manager. And even just a few years ago, that nobody knew what that is. Uh, but if you go on LinkedIn and you look for customer success manager, you'll see that this is, job is showing up. And they're paying pretty well for it. So uh, I have to go back and I actually have to reevaluate some of the, the things that I did and pull that sort of skill set into it because I can it's kind of the ideal job that I could do right now. Uh, but, uh, but aside from running my own company and building websites, but this is one of those things I've always done with people. So I've got to like make sure that, that I'm clear on that. And so one of the things that we're going to do when we do our LinkedIn mastery course, uh, this, uh, this coming week is it's this Tuesday. We're going to show people exactly how to leverage what they do. And in fact, we're going to give some free examples. We're going to talk to some of people and uh, we're going to give some people an opportunity to actually have a one-on-one -on -one, uh, coaching session with both of us so we can help pull and distill that out uh, of you. So you can like really, you know, we're going to give you a personal one-on-one -on -one with your LinkedIn profile. So uh, that's coming very soon. The, but best, the best part of the whole thing is that it's really live, not fake live, but real live. So but we'll live. actually be there. We'll actually be taking your questions. It's not going to be a pre-recorded. We're not going to have fake attendees with fake hands up. And even though we could do that, and I know how to do that, we're not going to be doing that. Now, now <laughs> uh, you, just, you just mentioned something. So I, I, uh, I, I want to take the last few minutes here about what you just mentioned, which is the art of the webinar. The art of the webinar. Yes. Uh, and I think this will be a good uh, segue to, to talk about next week. I think we'll do an episode on webinars. Uh, but for now, let's let's talk about um, some foundational stuff so uh, I can set the framework of what to expect here if we do an episode, a full episode on webinars. But what I'm talking about is the idea of uh, there's a term called evergreen. And evergreen doesn't refer to the trees growing in my yard. It doesn't refer to my Christmas tree or anything like that. It refers to content or I'll just call it content that can be ne that never gets dated. So it's content that can be reused. It's uh, independent of, of becoming obsolete. It's uh, so they call it evergreen content. And the idea of an evergreen webinar is that you have a webinar presentation that can be used over and over and over again. It's pre-recorded. But the funny thing is that a lot of people don't know this, that most webinars are pre-recorded, but made to look live. So there's a lot of trickery involved. They are, they are made to look live to the point that if, if I go and create a webinar for somebody, I can set the number of attendees that show up. I can set uh, fake comments to appear at certain points during the webinar to make it look like um, that I'm having more engagement with people so that it, it looks like a, a real presentation. Um, or I could take a, I could do a live webinar presentation and all the comments that were made during the live presentation, I can bring those over to the evergreen one and make it uh, make them reappear the same way they did when it was live. And what's the so purpose the, of doing this? Like so 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 let's break down why someone would do this. Well, it's to create the illusion that you are in a room with uh, it's creating social proof, right? You're in a room with a lot of other people. So this is a this is a popular program. This is a there are this many people showed up to the webinar at this time. So it must be, it must be popular and it must be, it's obviously very engaging because people are asking questions. They're doing this. You know, what's kind of, what's kind of fun is a lot of times at the beginning of a webinar to make it look live, you can even um, ask questions or, or ask people to say like, I want you to introduce yourself and tell me where you're from. And, and then I could just go out and when I'm recording the webinar, I could just name a bunch of names and be like, oh, hey, it's Justin from Camarillo. It's Andres from the Netherlands. It's, uh, 
it's Gwendolyn from uh, wherever. And, you know, I could just say that. And then later on, after I've recorded it, I could go in and add the comments um, to appear just before I announced those names. So it's like, it, it just, it makes it look live, which is more engaging and more interesting and holds people's attention more if they feel like they're involved in something that's happening live instead of watching a pre-recorded video. Yeah. Does that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. But there's, there's another level to it. And this is what we call inbound marketing. And, and, and what that is, this is an incredible marketing technique. If you've never run a webinar or you thought about rabbit, web, running a webinar, there's uh, it, on our next episode, we'll talk about some of the tools that you can use for free, but it's a really great way to kind of get your tribe going. So a few episodes ago, we talked about developing your tribe and how this is integral for modern marketing you've got to create an environment that is supportive and nurturing and you've got to continue to nurture it so you get a bunch of people kind of aboard with what you're doing and then what you can do is like you can do this through podcasting or you can do this through webinars and then you do a webinar and then uh there's other techniques you can do to actually sell people uh services of yours or get them if you're like a if you're like a SaaS company and you're talking about customer success managers like there's nothing better than to just record you basically what those people are doing, uh, if they're doing sales anyway, they're they're basically taking people on live calls through live demos. So instead of doing it that way, why not record a webinar where you basically go through that entire process? You make the webinar so that the 15 most commonly asked questions get asked during the webinar so that those all get addressed. So you're uh, handling objections before they happen. And you, you basically can automate that whole process so that you don't have to do a live call every single time. Now, if... Uh, if somebody watches the presentation and they still have additional questions, you could still, that's a very, that, that would make them a very qualified lead and it'd be worth hopping on an additional call with them. But it's, a, it's I mean, it screens people. It, it has a lot of effectiveness um, in marketing. The reality is that pre-recorded is not as high converting as live webinars, um, but it's a lot less work because it's a, it's a one and done thing. You record, you record once it lives forever. I mean, assuming you keep your software licenses up and, uh, and the internet lives forever. Uh, but it's a, it's, it's a one and done thing. It's you set it and forget it. And then if you do it live, um, your conversions will be higher because it's just people are, some people are up on some of the tricks. But here. then what you could do with it, this is the, this is the kind of the cool part. And this is stuff that, that we really geek out about. Um, is you can take then the webinar itself and then say, if you're going to upsell something on the webinar that seems to be live, you can advertise that on Facebook on a regular basis. So if you're advertising that on Facebook, you're getting people to join the webinar. Uh, that is a really amazing thing. And now with this uh, new business API that they're releasing for WhatsApp, if somebody has a question about it, they could actually WhatsApp you directly. So even though it seems like it's live, you can, uh, within the realms of signing people up, you can start answering yeah. questions uh, directly. That'd be pretty cool if they, if they do that integration. Right now, if if somebody asks a question on a pre-recorded webinar, you can set it so that you get an email. So if they typed in a question, if a real attendee typed in a question, you get an email. But yeah, adding WhatsApp to make it like fully interactive. So somebody could just, that could be their job basically is to, to be the attendant of the pre-recorded webinars. So whenever somebody shows up there, they're basically there answering questions. Sure. Uh, that would make it really, that would take, a, that would probably make it seem fully live. I mean, it'd be, it'd be tough to. Uh... Exactly. And then, and then from there, of course, you know, now you have a, a captive audience, they're coming to you to get information. And this is like, again, the inbound marketing technique where you're building the tribe, people are coming to you. They want to hear some information about something current. Like for instance, if uh, you did a, 
uh, a webinar on how to advertise to people on uh, on TikTok, right? And there's a lot of people who want to figure out how to get to that particular market. How do you do that? So you could offer this to those types of businesses through your uh, email list, through uh, social, uh, whatever you, you want to do. Get people into the webinar. And then once people's eyeballs are in front of you, uh, that's a great opportunity. I mean, those are all live leads, right? So that's how you, you one of the best ways of marketing. In fact, uh, I, I have to tell you this funny story before we close out. Uh, there was a, a, a client that I have, right? And uh, he, he uh, there's a, a new CEO that has showed up. And uh, I presented this plan where basically what I was going to do was I was going to start a podcast for that particular company and in their particular niche. And because they had no marketing, zero marketing. So I said, all right, here's what we do. We start a podcast kind of like this one, we grow the audience. It doesn't have to be very big, but we can take those episodes of the podcast and send it through. We have a reason to email people so they can listen to it. And then we can also connect to people on LinkedIn and send them the podcast directly. And there's ways that we can show you how to automate this stuff. We know some tricks on how to automate messaging so you don't have to message individual people, but you can get onto LinkedIn and then uh, send thousands of messages that seem yeah, personalized. Bulk. Bulk yeah, message. exactly. Um, and you could do that with your uh, with the podcast and grow your listening audience. So uh, and he uh, did not understand the concept. And so this is very interesting because one of the things, the challenges that I deal with from time to time is uh, a company that maybe they hire me and the person who's running it, the CEO or the uh, the owner of the company, they are an older person and they they barely understand Facebook marketing. And when I start throwing in these other ideas like podcasting or webinars, they have no idea what I'm talking about. It, it's like it's like Star Trek to them. So they don't understand the value of it, right? So yeah. this is why it's important, especially in this day and age, to stay on top of what these methodologies are and uh, how to get in early. Get in early too. That's why right. that's why we bring up TikTok also, because if you the first people to the party are the ones that are gonna benefit the most. I mean, the early adopters of Twitter grew their audiences very fast and have uh, have turned that into great influence. The early adopters of Instagram, the early adopters of everything uh, tend to to have the best opportunities. It doesn't mean they're all going to succeed there, but it, uh, they have the best opportunities to do so. Exactly. So be an early adopter. Yeah. yeah. And if, if you have any questions about it, I know two people who run a weekly podcast who can bring this information to you. And uh, currently- Joe Rogan, is that who you're talking about? I'm talking about us, man. So, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so I have a request, and, <laughs> and that request is that every single one of our seven listeners go out and tell 500 of your closest friends about us and have them uh, subscribe to this. And we need some feedback because, first of all, I, I just want to give a big, big shout out to all the people who have been leaving really great comments to us on iTunes. We have some really glowing reviews. Uh, and, and I just want to thank everybody for that because, it, it, you know, we are here – really because we want to bring this information to you um and we have a wealth of knowledge like again if you want to find out how to start a business in a foreign country and use that as your work permit so you can escape america uh we're going to do an episode on that in the future we're going to do an episode <laughs> on uh on, on more on webinars, webinars. Uh, uh, podcasting 
and we'll do our weekly uh, sex robot report. So you know, but we want to. But we're gonna we do a web, we're gonna do a, a podcast on podcasting. We have to do a podcast on podcasting, and we need to do a webinar on webinars at some point. Those are the two the, the, the must haves. <laughs> so I I I just want I, I it, please let us know how what information we could bring to you, how we could format the show better. Uh, we kind of like to play it loose here, and uh, definitely have kind of a. Uh, a loose, and some people dig that some people don't i don't know i would love to hear from you either way though folks and uh, uh let us know what you think but uh is there anything you wanted to uh to add justin womack uh, i think there was and then it like kind of vanished from my from my ears or <laughs> my soul it vanished from my soul <laughs> Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't really have anything too much to add, other than uh, yes. Be sure to join us on this coming Tuesday, August seventh. Uh, LinkedInMasteryCourse.com was the URL in case you missed it at the beginning of the show. LinkedInMasteryCourse.com. Uh, you can register for free. We're going to give you uh, a full training on how to create a master LinkedIn profile. So don't don't miss that. Uh, and uh, other than that, I mean. Exciting stuff happening in the, in in our worlds. Uh, we're continuing to grow this podcast. We love our listeners, uh, even those couple of you that gave us two stars. We love you too. We love yeah, you. Yeah, and you know what? We 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 love you guys uh, just for for letting us know how we can improve. So yeah, real let feedback us know is how good. We, we want yeah, real feedback is can be constructive. So as long as you're you know not fully, I mean, you can troll us a little bit, but don't don't troll us like too bad. And then, uh, yeah, we, I mean, we can, we can take constructive feedback. Tell, and tell, turn the, that. tell the trolls not to troll us too bad. That has, see how that goes over. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll take it, man. You know, I'll, if you want to, if you want to troll real bad, yeah, I mean, it's engagement, you know? So if, yeah, if they troll us, exactly. if they troll us real bad, all they're doing is adding to the fire. I mean, you're just, That's right. this podcast is exploding. It's obviously the best podcast in the world right now. Um, but it's just, it hasn't found its full audience potential yet. And it's, we're reaching that we're getting there. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, but please join us this Tuesday, uh, which is going to be August. Uh, what is that? The August 7th? the 7th. Yeah. August the 7th. Yeah. August 7th. Uh, and uh, I'll be here in the Netherlands. Justin will be there. You can see us. We'll be on camera and everything and you can talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. Seriously. And don't be like Steve Jobs. If you have a daughter, acknowledge her. Don't be like Steve Jobs. I have a son. Well, that's a little different, I guess. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I have a son you, you as well. You and I don't acknowledge him. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, yeah, so we're going to do future episodes on, like, even uh, uh, how to deal with, like, what kind of apps to put in front of your kids. Anyway, there's a lot to talk about. We love our audience. Uh, please join us, LinkedInMasteryCourse.com. Sign up, and uh, we'll hear from you then. So with that... Thank you for watching or listening to another episode of Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks was brought to you by the LinkedIn Mastery Course. LinkedIn Mastery Course for all your LinkedIn needs. It's been awesome and there's a guy bumping into my door and falling down because it's a sitcom. Okay, ready? We're going to do a freeze frame. Here we go. Three, two, one, freeze frame. If only they could see us. If only they could see us. Stay classy, everybody. Stay, Stay classy. classy. Music.